yeah. We're back with the new episode of Binge Stash. Oh yeah, don't you know? Minnesota. <laughs> it's going full Canadian. Or was, Minnesota. I was going Minnesota. Minnesota, eh? Uh, have you watched Fargo yet, by the way? I've seen the first one or two episodes, and I have seen the movie. I've seen okay. I've seen the Fargo movie where they go, oh, you betcha. Oh, don't you know? Oh, well, that's gosh. That's you really need to see. Oh, gosh, eh? Oh, gosh, Adrian eh? Peterson. Eh? Adrian, eh? Minnesota Vikings, even though we are not talking about the, whatever that is, yeah. NFC North, AFC North. Which one are the Vikings? NFC? And NFC, yeah, yeah. That was a quiz. <laughs> just testing you guys all right we are back with another episode of bench dash kind of starting it off with a weird tangent but this will be an episode that we've never really tried to do before we are going to preview a division as we are in the preseason <laughs> exactly leo with the uh the sound effects coming in hot yeah we are going to look at and dissect the nfc west the hard knocks division of the NFL currently. Yeah. yeah. So we'll take a look at the four teams. We'll break down the uh, the key fantasy players, the fantasy relevant players, possible sleepers, and then that's it. We're just diving headfirst into the NFC West. But I am Derek, no nickname required. Uh, and I am your boy Leo, a.k.a. Leo Khaleesi, the best nickname in the business, the best mother of dragons in the business. <laughs> yeah, it, t- it took you a little while to, you know, kind of jump in there. It looked like you were deep in thought. Now I'm looking at stuff on my other screen. I was like, oh, he'll be done talking eventually, and then I'll be, then I'll be ready yeah. to go. You're like, at some point, <laughs> he has to stop talking. But yes, NFC West. So we will just look at the, the four teams that reside in the NFC West, starting with last season's winner, the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals. So I'll just run run down some uh, basic stats for you, and then I will let you take over so you don't have to sit there with that blank look on your face for too much longer. <laughs> so the Arizona Cardinals last year, they finished 12th overall in rushing attempts, 19th in passing attempts. Now, if we're looking at their team makeup this year, per pro football focus, they have the second-ranked wide receiving core, the 23rd-ranked running back core, which is kind of a slap in the face to David Johnson, if you think about it, that they're ranked 23rd on pro football focus. Because if you listen to the fantasy experts, you would think that they would be ranked number one because they have David Johnson on their team. But 23rd, their offensive line is ninth overall. Front seven, in terms of the defensive line, is 15th. Secondary is second, and the quarterback situation is sixth with Carson Palmer and Drew Stanton as the one and two there. So pretty consistent, actually top 15 across the board, except for the running back. But I think that will probably change as the year goes along. So if we're looking at fantasy-relevant players from the Arizona Cardinals, we have to start with David Johnson. Because he finished last year with 581 rushing yards, 8 touchdowns, 4.6 yards per carry, and that this is all on the ground. In the receiving game, he had 36 catches for another 457 yards and four touchdowns. And he was producing at a .51 clip in terms of points per opportunity, which was the best in the league. So, David Johnson. Leo, what do you think about Mr. Johnson? David Johnson. 
Um, I like the talent. I like the kid. Got a good uh, cut of his jib. He's a nice boy. But, 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 the biggest problem with David Johnson is uh, his cost. He is currently a first rounder, most going in the top half of the first round in most drafts. And when you spend that kind of equity on a running back, uh, you basically have to assume that they are going to be the full workhorse back. They are three down back. Um, They will get a lot of scoring opportunities. They are behind either behind a good offensive line or they are such an elite level talent. It doesn't matter the line they're behind a la Adrian Peterson and uh, Todd Gurley. Um, Yes. (laughs) Yes, Derek. (laughs) He does have that elite level talent is what the fantasy world will tell you. I have not seen him as a Todd Gurley, Adrian Peterson yet. He was very, very good. During his little six-game stretch, he was quite good, but not elite generational talent. I didn't see that. I didn't see can perform behind any offensive line on any offense, and it's just so good he'll will the team to be better. Like, he's not, he's not that level of player. So he depends on this offense being functional. That is, you know, I'm not saying the Cardinals won't be. I think they will be. My biggest concern with David Johnson is that he didn't really earn this role by just outplaying everyone there. Uh, He got it because Chris Johnson got hurt and Andre Ellington got hurt, and there was no one else. There was no one else. It had to be him. And then he got rolling, and the team kept him in once Chris Johnson and Andre Ellington got healthy because it it was working, so why mess with it? But now they have a full offseason and a full training camp to evaluate how they want their running game to run. They might not have david johnson be the bell cow this is just an assumption based off of nothing based off of what we saw at the end of last season we're assuming that you can just copy and paste that to this season and it'll work that way um and there's a little bit of filtering going on in the fantasy community of you know bruce arian says ah well you know chris johnson's going to be involved still and it just gets ignored it gets brushed aside as oh no that's coach speak it doesn't mean anything and then in the same breath bruce arian says oh man david johnson he's a special talent and then everyone shines a spotlight on and goes oh my god look at this look how much you know the coaching staff loves him he's going to be the thing it's just you know selective hearing is kind of what's going on a little bit with david johnson so i i worry about his ability to return on the equity it takes to get him uh i'd love him as a second round pick but too too pricey for me in the first round is my thought. And, and there's no way he will fall to the second round. No, he's one of those players. His ADP has been slowly climbing. Yeah. At the beginning of the mock draft season, he was going at the very end of the first round. He was still mm-hmm. a first round pick, but now he's been creeping up into the top five, which is insane to me. He's definitely he's been going as the first running back off the board in a lot of mocks. Mm -hmm. So ahead of guys like Adrian Peterson, ahead of guys like Todd Gurley, who we'll talk about later in this pod because he is part of the NFC West. So your general stance on David Johnson is avoid in the first round, correct? Yeah, for him to return on his first half of the first round value, he because he's not the level of talent where he can just put the entire offense on his back and get performance no matter what, he needs that offense to be good. He needs to get a majority of the carries, and he needs to get a lot of scoring opportunities. 
And so you're basically saying he's not Greg Jennings. He's not going to put the team on his <laughs> no. back. No, he is not Greg Jennings. Circa whenever that video came out, two thousand three, <laughs> probably. Uh, no, I don't. I don't see that. I, there's too many outside variables that have nothing to do with him that control his fantasy output. And so his floor is scary. Kind of, he has a scary low floor of being part of this timeshare where he doesn't he doesn't get the workload he needs to return on his value. So the upside is there for sure. If it goes the way people are thinking, then he could be the number one running back in fantasy. Uh, but he could also be the number 20, 30 running back in fantasy. It's very, he's kind of a boomer bust pick. And I don't like that with my first rounder. Okay. Well, let me throw this at you. So Arizona, ninth ranked offensive line mm-hmm. in the league, sure. according to Pro Football Focus. Sure. They have uh, right guard Evan Mathis who earned the highest run-blocking grade in the league. And if you look at David Johnson's like rushing direction statistics, he earned about 67% of his total rushing yards running to the right side. So who's to say that over the full course of a season, running behind Evan Mathis, running behind this offensive line, that he won't be even better? Just to play devil's advocate for you. Evan Mathis was on the Broncos last year, if I remember correctly. Um, and it didn't matter how good that running game was. Uh, like, it didn't, it, that didn't help that much, even if he did grade out as one of the best run-blocking linemen. That's one piece of a five-piece offensive line. And yes, okay, sure, they were the ninth best line last year, but we've seen that fall apart from one year to the next. We've seen injury strike, multiple linemen. It's, you know, again, yes... The pieces are there for it to be great. The offensive line could still be as good. You know, Carson Palmer could stay healthy for 16 games again. He could get 65, 70, 80% of the carries, touches. But he needs all of those things. So, yes. No, thank you. And these, these, these numbers are based on last year. So, you, like you mentioned, who knows if they'll carry over to 2016. Mm-hmm. These were projections based on pro football focus again this is where they see the arizona offensive line falling into place around ninth overall okay so david johnson okay he's probably the key fantasy piece in arizona the one that will be a surefire first round pick but they have a solid wide receiving corp one of the best in the league i would argue the best in the league damn girl ranked second overall they have larry fitzgerald Michael Floyd, and John Smokey Brown Ooh. as a threesome. Ooh. So let me just run down some, uh, some stats for you here. Okay. Larry Fitzgerald, and we'll talk about Larry Fitzgerald in particular because he kind of fell off after week eight or so. But Larry Fitzgerald, 139 targets, okay? So a lot of targets. He had 109 catches Target for 1,215 yards with nine TDs. 8.7 yards per target and an 8.9 average depth of target. And this is something I'll be bringing up quite frequently. Average depth of target is exactly what it sounds like. The average distance in terms of yards that their targets will end up as. So this tells you typically if a receiver is more of a slot receiver or if they're a deep threat. So this tells you that Larry Fitzgerald is clearly the slot receiver in Arizona with a lower A dot is what it's called. So 8.9 average depth of target. 
So what do you think about Larry Fitzgerald this year? Uh, I like him in PPR because, like you said, he gets a boatload of targets. Um, I like him as sort of a, in a season-long league, someone you draft and then try to move after a month. I think he kind of fits that profile perfectly of he's going to start the season really hot because he's Carson's, like, safety valve. He's that slot guy, the sure-handed veteran, et cetera, et cetera. Tons of targets. So he'll probably have huge weeks in the first month. I wouldn't be surprised if he started off the season as a top five fantasy receiver. Uh, But then age will catch up and he'll slow down as he did last year. And as we've seen this happen time and time again with these older receivers. So I think he's the perfect draft. Let him boom for a month and then trade him, package him in a trade, ship him off. Uh, And at his current ADP where he's going in like the the seventh round, he's like a mid-round pick guy. Um, it's a little high to be spending on that, but it's not bad because, you know, the return that you can get on a, you know, you're selling him as a wide receiver one, the return you can get on that is potentially a lot. So I, I actually, I like him for that. I wouldn't trust him as someone to draft and keep all year because he's going to, he's going to slow down as the season goes on. All right. And the, the two other wide receivers there, Michael Floyd and John Brown, Floyd seems to be the more popular of the two. Mm-hmm in terms of ADP. So he had a huge ending of 2015, but his overall numbers turned out to be 88 targets, 52 catches for 849 yards and six touchdowns. He had a higher yards per target than Fitzgerald by almost a full yard per target, 9.6. And his ADOT average depth of target was 16, which was in the, the upper echelon in terms of the league. So he is kind of one of their de facto deep threats in Arizona. John Brown fits into the same mold as well. So you have Michael Floyd, John Brown, they spread the field, and Fitz is that safe underneath wide receiver, like you said, the sure-handed veteran. So what do you think about Michael Floyd? Is he somebody that you would draft in the mid-rounds, or are you kind of more weary of him? Uh, I'm a little weary of him. I think that when you're looking at this receiving core, you kind of have to... Pick your guy, not name Larry Fitzgerald, or maybe even Larry Fitzgerald. Pick your guy that you think is going to be the guy, and then have him be the one you target because they're all going at very similar ADP. They're all going within a round or two of each other, and they're not yeah. all. They can't all perform well. This isn't. I don't see that off. This offense really supporting three top twenty wide receivers. It did it for stretches last year, but I don't think you want to draft that way. I think you want to kind of pick your guy and have him be the one you'd reach for a little bit out of those three. Um, and Michael Floyd is not the one I'm targeting because we saw the Michael Floyd show for a few years and it, it wasn't good. He was not, he was not living up to the hype, to the, the pedigree, et cetera, et cetera. And then he gets hurt last year, comes in, has a strong finish, but I kind of see him as regression candidate written all over him. Um, I don't buy that. That's just going to magically continue on to the next season. Uh, the guy I'm looking at more is John Brown. I think that that he has the the upside to grow from what he did last year, uh, especially because he was hurt in the second half, and that's why he slowed down and how Michael Floyd was able to step up and get a larger role because John Brown wasn't really fighting for targets because he was unhealthy. Um, so I, I prefer John Brown out of these three in general as a guy I'm going to target. Um, yeah. I was trying to pull up Matt Harmon's reception perception on John Brown so I could find the exact numbers. 
But yeah, Har- Harmon loves John Brown. Yeah, I can't find the exact number, but basically he has like the the fourth or fifth best success versus man coverage of any receiver in the league. John Brown is he's he is in that like Antonio Brown like species of just like it doesn't he can't be stopped at the line. He can just juke anyone out of their shoes and get past them. It doesn't matter that he's small. He's so quick. He can just find success on the outside no matter what. Um, yeah. And so I think he bounces back from last year. I think we see in the second half more of what John Brown did in the first half. Uh, and I think yeah. that he, he is the guy of the three that I think is the highest upside and not the safest floor. That's Larry Fitzgerald. But I think a safer floor than Michael Floyd, too. I think he has a, a higher floor and ceiling than Michael Floyd. I don't really, really get why Michael Floyd is going the same range as Smokey Brown. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you had to choose a wide receiver from this core that could end up as a wide receiver one, like that's a possibility, then John Brown would fit that mold mm-hmm. more so than the other two. I think the other two at their peak have a shot at getting into the wide receiver two conversation. But John Brown, in my eyes, could potentially end up as a top 12 wide receiver. Now, a lot of things would have to break right. But even if he ends up as a wide receiver two, he's going as the 33rd wide receiver off the board right now, wide receiver 33. And his his numbers last year, and you mentioned that he was dealing with lingering injuries, he had 99 targets, almost 100 targets, 65 catches for 1,003 yards. So he was over the 1,000-yard mark. He had the highest yards per target on his team at 10.1 and a 15.3 average depth of target. So if you're looking at these two statistics, yards per target and average depth of target, he is the most consistent on his team. He, he gets the highest yards per target, and he's a little bit lower than Michael Floyd in terms of average depth per target. But this goes to show that he can be the deep threat, but he can also be that consistent yard monster, mm-hmm. target monster and yard monster. And if we look at All his monsters. stats, just he's just a goat, basically. <laughs> he's one Piggybacking of the off of your last <laughs> pod where you said goat about 58 times in sure. the last couple of minutes, we're just going to keep it going with, uh, with John Brown. But if you're looking at comparisons to top wide receivers, I picked out Allen Robinson just to compare with John Brown. And Allen Robinson's going as the seventh wide receiver off the board. Some consider him a top five wide receiver this year. Well, if you look at his stats last year, when you have the Jacksonville Jaguars probably producing at a clip that's unsustainable. So this was Allen Robinson at his peak, most likely. He had a 56% completion percentage, which isn't very good. That tends to get glossed over a little bit. Mm -hmm. He was at 9.9 yards per target and a 16.3 average depth of target with 21 red zone targets, which is solid. But then you look at John Brown, who has a 66% completion ratio so 10 percent higher than alan robinson he has a 10.1 yards per target as i mentioned before which is also higher than alan robinson his average depth of target is slightly lower at 15.3 and his red zone targets are slightly lower at 18 Mm. but there's not much of a difference there between john brown and alan robinson and when you look at offensive pieces to your team you typically do look at the better offense and Arizona is clearly the better offense. The argument against John Brown has always been there are too many mouths to feed. But I think Jacksonville is going to go the other way. 
So I think if you're comparing these two wide receivers, John Brown and Allen Robinson, I'd honestly rather have John Brown, which is kind of a bold statement to make because of Mm -hmm. where Allen Robinson finished and how he's perceived. But just look at the value. Wide receiver 7 versus wide receiver 33. And in my eyes, there's not a huge difference between the two. I think John Brown might end up higher than Allen Robinson this year. So that is one of my predictions. One of my hot takes, hot hot stakes. John Brown will end up with more fantasy points than Allen Robinson. You heard it here first. I think it's possible. I don't. I don't hate that take. It's not hateful at all. Um, yeah, I think if we're gonna, and I think we should do this since we're on the first team of our first divisional preview. So this is yeah. the perfect time to put this in, which is we should be naming a goat for every team. Which is this is this is our goat based off yeah. of value, ceiling, all those things. And John Brown is our goat of the of the Cardinals. We haven't talked about Carson Palmer yet. Yeah, who I was just about to mention. Because Carson Palmer is an interesting quarterback to draft this season. Now, if we look at Carson Palmer, and we'll talk more about John Brown later, because we are going to name a divisional GOAT as well. Mm -hmm. The entire division. So his name might pop up. Spoiler alert. We'll see, we'll see. Maybe not, though. We'll see. But talking about Carson Palmer. So Carson Palmer finished second in the league last year in touchdowns. Okay. which is not that surprising when you consider the the amount of weapons that he has on his offense. He finished fourth in yards with 46-71, and he led the league in average depth of target. So I keep on bringing up this average depth of target, but that means he has an offense that spreads the field. He is consistently throwing the ball downfield, and we saw this in the first preseason game. Now, John Brown wasn't playing, and I don't think John Brown will play in their second preseason game. So slightly worrisome considering we just named him the goat of the team and he is dealing with concussion symptoms the same thing that Ladarius Green is dealing with so check back in in a couple weeks if we don't see John Brown play in the preseason at all and he's still dealing with lingering concussion problems that's scary yeah concussion problems are one of those things that can last there's no timetable basically Mm -hmm. they can last a lifetime so yeah. hopefully that's not the case with John Brown. Nobody seems to be concerned about it, but it's something to watch because he hasn't really practiced yet. He's mm. He's been kept off the field. But Carson Palmer, going back, um, average depth of target, 11.3. He's one of these quarterbacks that doesn't get a lot of respect based on his numbers last year. He You can draft him in the seventh, eighth round. So he is kind of in between if you're – talking about drafting a quarterback early or drafting a quarterback late, he kind of falls in that Eli Manning range where mm-hmm. you can probably get him in the 8th or ninth round. He's not a full-on late-round quarterback target. Yeah. But I think he kind of fits into the lower end of the tier when you're talking about guys like Ben Roethlisberger and Drew Brees. Uh, I think you can almost slide Carson Palmer into that conversation. He has the weapons. He puts up the numbers. And you can get him at a better value. So in my mind, that makes him, I mean, a part of that tier, essentially. Yeah, no, I'm with you on Carson Palmer. I definitely think he is in that top five quarterback conversation, but his ADP has him as if he's like the ninth or tenth best quarterback. Uh, I definitely yeah. take him in the ninth, maybe even the eighth round. Because, uh, I mean, we've seen we've seen the ceiling. He finishes the fifth best quarterback last year. So the yeah. the upside is there, I guess. I guess the concern with Palmer is that he gets hurt. You know, maybe it's yeah. still biased from that season before. Um, but I, I, I think he's a huge value where he goes. I think we, we still like John Brown is our Cardinals go. Uh, but 
because getting a wide receiver one is more valuable than getting a top five QB. But yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, that pretty much wraps up the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. I'm, they're probably going to take up the majority of this podcast because I think they have the most fantasy relevant players. We do. The team we're about to talk about is second in that regard, Ooh. and that is the Seattle Here Seahawks. Here we go. Now it's getting interesting. Yeah, now, now it's getting we're turning up the heat. Boom. Yeah, and I'm going over these teams in the order that I think the division will play out. I think Arizona wins the division again. Why wouldn't you put Seattle first? I'm confused. Yeah. I'm confused. Yeah, so are you, are you going to get up and walk away? <laughs> I'm, I'm done. You, I'm will done. you be able to recover? <laughs> I can't recover. Okay. This is Arian Foster in the fifth all over again. <laughs> so Seattle, they finished third overall in rushing plays last season, kind of backing up the narrative that they're a running team. Mm-hmm. Of course, that might shift this season. We'll see. 28th in passing plays. So drastic difference there. They were a running team last season. Now, if we look at their overall team makeup, they are ranked fifth in the wide receiving core with Dougie Fresh Baldwin, Tile Driver Lockett, mm, and Jermaine. Driver. Nobody wants to talk about him curse. Yep. The offensive line, this is their Achilles heel. They are ranked dead last, according to Pro Football Focus. 32nd <laughs> overall in terms of offensive line grade. The running back situation is middle of the pack, 13th. Now their defense, they're top five in every category. So defensive line, second overall, secondary, fourth overall. And with the QB situation, fifth overall with Russell Wilson. So the Seattle Seahawks, we're talking about fantasy-relevant players. There's a lot of interesting names, especially Mm. because of the way they drafted. Mm. There's been a lot of narrative about, oh, they drafted three running backs which is damning to Thomas Rawls. So what do you think Johnny about this Rawls. whole... Dun- Rawls in. They see me Rawls in. The rest of the pod is just singing yeah, that. Yeah, we're just going to sing this song. So do you have a, yeah. a counter-argument to this narrative that, okay, Seattle clearly doesn't love Thomas Rawls because they went out and drafted three running backs? Sure I do. Um, All right, let's hear it. Starting from the bottom, and now I'm here. No. Uh, <laughs> Alex Collins yeah. is incredibly raw, um, basically an unknown quantity at this point, and they took him in the, in the sixth round, if I remember correctly, so that was just like a end-of-the-draft flyer, basically. Like, oh, let's see what happens with this kid. Um, so I'm not worried about Alex Collins. Um, CJ Procise profiles as your pass-catching back. He's basically the Fred Jackson replacement more than anything else. Um, and like, maybe it's possible he takes some early down work from Rawls, but I don't think they're going to... They're not planning for that to happen. They're, they're going in saying ProSize is their third down back and probably their uh, two-minute drill back as well. Uh, that was the way they used Fred Jackson, too, was during those um, no-huddle offense kind of situations. So maybe we see ProSize in those as well. So he's a good uh, late-round PPR guy, but, again, not really a threat to Rawls's early down work and goal line potential. So I guess the only guy that you would be worried about is Christine Hype Train Michael. Ooh, C-Mike. The C-Mike hype train. Um, and I guess just from, like, raw talent, I guess, ability, there's, like, there's some threat there. Because um, I watched Rawls play, and while he was fantastic last year, um, he, I think some of that was a product of the offense more than him specifically being this elite-level talent. Uh, I kind of see Ahmad Bradshaw when I see him run of, like, a, of like a not like current Ahmad Bradshaw like Ahmad Bradshaw yeah. on his prime like a great okay. running back 
who is like a very violent runner, but not not like uh, not elite. I was going to say that that would be a scary comparison if you're talking about current Ahmad Bradshaw. <laughs> no, not current, like in his <laughs> okay. prime. But I also, I also do think the comparison makes sense in that uh, Bradshaw was such a violent runner, he would get nicked up a lot, and we've already seen Rawls have that happen a little bit. So there is some concern with that. Uh, so Christine Michael, I guess, profiles as the higher highest talent guy in the backfield, but you know it's also about <laughs> like what's between Again, his ears. Yeah, like you know yeah. what what is what is going on with his head. This is his. Fourth year in the league, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah fourth year. And uh, he just he didn't put it together until the very end of last season. Yeah, well, extreme. apparently he's had an awakening this season. <laughs> there, that, there's another gif right insert, there for Insert the, the eye roll, yeah. roll gif of me. Um, yeah, I don't ignore everything you hear out of training camp about how <clears throat> Christine Michael has had an awakening and the, the, the light has gone on and now he's a changed man. Especially from the Seahawks. Like, the Seahawks coaching staff is, like, one of the worst when it comes to coach speak. Like, don't believe anything good you hear from anyone there. Period. Um, so just ignore that part and look at what he did at the end of last season. And, you know, during the playoff games and the few seasons towards the end of the year, uh, he did look good. He did have some productive games. Um, yeah. A lot of that had to do with there was, there was no one else there. Rawls was hurt. It was also Fred Jackson. And uh, who, was, who else F was there? Jackson. Nobody. There was another player there, but it was basically nobody. Um, so, but I think with the healthy Rawls, I think it's Rawls' job to lose. And I think the only way Christine Michael does that is if his, some, he's had a brain transplant and he suddenly, yeah. he's suddenly a different person in that body. Um, Michael is more of like a, a high upside handcuff. I do think he is the guy to handcuff Rawls with out of that backfield if you're looking to do that. A nice, like, MFL 10 target. Um, he'll be a nice, like, DFS guy some weeks because I, I think he'll get some work. Um, but I, I don't see any of these guys as a, uh-oh, this is going to start as a timeshare for Rawls. I don't, I don't see that. I think yeah. this is going to be Rawls' job to lose based off of what he did last year. Um, they see me Rawls Exactly. So yeah, I'm not worried about Rawls. I think Rawls is a good value in the like fourth round where he's going right now. I, I like him a lot there. Well, I, th- I think the real takeaway from this is that if Christian Michael comes and lights up the preseason, which yeah. he has done in the past, he's okay. been pretty much – he probably competes with Zach Zenner as a preseason MVP oh, yeah, on a consistent sure. basis. Yeah. He has these games, and he just had a good game against Kansas City in the first preseason game, which is kind of driving this hype even further. If he continues to tear up the preseason and Seattle kind of eases Rawls back in, to like we might not even see Rawls in the preseason at all. Maybe I, he I plays so. a few snaps. Maybe not. But yeah. I think that will help Thomas Rawls overall. His value will decrease mm-hmm. because everyone in fantasy football has a short-term memory. That's why we are buying into the Christine Michael hype train again. Yeah. This is like Groundhog's Day with Chris and Michael. Here we go again, the Christian Michael hype train. I yeah. remember this from last season, the season before. And it's what, who's to say that it's real this time? I mean, we're kind of buying into this, oh, he's had an awakening, mm. Coach Speak. So I like that Thomas Rawls, his ADP is getting pushed further and further down yeah. because we haven't seen Rawls yet. And when we see Rawls, he might come in and light it up. We have to remember that he led the league in yards per carry last season at yeah. 5.6. Yeah. Like he, he led the league by a mile in that category 
Now, you can argue that he didn't play a full season. That is completely valid. But when he did play, he was producing at a league-leading clip. He ended the year with 830 yards rushing. So it wasn't like it was a tiny sample size. I mean, he had the ball enough to almost get to the 1,000-yard mark on the ground. He had four rushing touchdowns. I mean, the guy was a, was a beast when he was playing. He was a workhorse. Uh, he kind of came out of nowhere. I think a lot of people are latching on to the fact that he's this undrafted talent. Mm-hmm. And who's to say that it wasn't he wasn't a flash-in-the-pan type of season and that he'll fall off the table next season as well. So there's a lot of things that are pushing Thomas Rawls' ADP down, which I like personally. Yeah. I mean, if I can get him in the fourth round, whoo! Mm. Yeah. Rawls Tasty. is one of those guys, because he's in the fourth round, you can go wide receiver heavy with the first couple rounds and get Rawls after that and I think be pretty safe. Because yeah. even even though, yes, he is an undrafted free agent, yes, he was only that insanely productive for a short burst last season before getting hurt, uh, it's not like there's anyone so elite behind him that the Seahawks have to have to see what's happening. They've, they've seen the Christine Michael show more times than anyone. They're not going to... Mm-hmm buying some some preseason performances because he did it before and then fell flat on his face. The preseason is not indicative of what someone's going to do in a real game because the defenses aren't really trying. It's a lot of vanilla formations, yeah. and it's a lot of not even the full starting defense necessarily. It's, yeah, nobody wants to get hurt. No one basically. wants to get hurt. Yeah. No, people are just like getting used to being on a football field again, basically, especially the first preseason game. But even yeah. if... Like, Michael lights it up the rest of the preseason and we don't see Rawls at all, I'm not worried about it. I'm, I'm not worried about it until that happens in a regular season game, and I think it would take Rawls coming out and falling flat on his face for that to happen. And I don't think he will. I believe in the, right. the kid's talent. The kid's talent. Kid. All right, so let's, uh, let's move into Russell Wilson, Ooh. the best quarterback in the league. Ooh. Now, here's a little juicy stat for you. So when Wilson had 2.6 seconds to throw the ball. Sure, that happened a he, lot. He, yeah, <laughs> he led the league in passer rating with 105.5 yeah. QB rating. 2.6. The problem was is that the offensive line was terrible in pass protection. Like, Russell was scrambling for his life mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Uh, they've, they've gone out and they've attempted to improve their offensive line, but... They haven't really made any flashy pickups. They signed Jamarcus Webb early in the offseason. I'm was already hearing Webb might not, might not make the team. That's yeah. already not happening. <laughs> yeah, so that, that is basically a non-story. Uh, Jari Evans, they recently picked up, who actually grades out as a pretty decent pass blocker. Yeah, that's a nice pickup, so, actually. So that might help Wilson a little bit. They, they've made efforts to kind of solidify their offensive line in terms of pass protection because mm-hmm. they know when Wilson has time and he has the weapons that he will basically pick apart any defense in the league. Yeah. So the only issue is that if he doesn't have the time, then his value goes down. If, he, if he's running around, if he's getting sacked, if he's getting hit, not only will his chance of injury skyrocket, but his production will also decline. So how do you feel about their offensive line? Do you think it is, is – have they patched it up enough, or is it just it's still in shambles? I mean, it's so hard to say because these are a bunch of names we don't know besides Webb and Evans. And, you know, Webb has reportedly been awful, and Evans grades out well, but who knows how he'll be in this system. Yeah. So we kind of just 
I kind of want to assume that it's still going to be bad and go from there with my evaluation because yeah. then, like, worst-case scenario, I'm wrong, and it's better, and then everyone on the team is better because of it. So I, I'm kind of going and assuming the worst as a way to sort of evaluate these players because even if you look at Russell Wilson and say, man, this offensive line is awful. He's going to be running for his life a lot. He's not going to get a lot of time to pass. Um, that hasn't really mattered for him historically. Uh, yeah. I don't know. What his, I don't have his pass rating in front of me for when he is under pressure and he's you know scrambling. But I've seen it before, and it's one of the highest in the leagues. Uh, he plays very well under pressure, and we sort of saw the evolution of them figuring out what to do when they don't have a running game last season. You know, Lynch was hurt, um, and then Rawls got hurt, and then they were just kind of had nothing, um, and so they kind of had to figure out what else to do. How can we make a passing offense out of a team that has a terrible offensive line they can't pass protect and they figured it out it was just a lot of these really quick hitting throws and russell wilson is also like the most efficient quarterback in the league maybe uh so it's it's worked out and so i like the little maybe to admit at the end i mean you know there's also like you know tom brady and aaron Rodgers. so i don't want to say period but he's up there in terms of and joe flacco and joe flacco yeah uh, and, you know, Matthew Stafford. Um, yeah. <laughs> so from like a fantasy perspective, uh, the floor is super high because of the rushing. Like you can lock in at least 500 rushing yards and a handful of TDs, um, maybe more of both. And we've seen that if they need him, they need to lean on him. They have a way to do it. They figured out how to do that. They have this this weapon in their arsenal now. of OK, we don't have a running game. This line is as bad as it was last year what do we do? And they know what to do. They can fall back on what they did last season, and it worked. We didn't even see it really stop working until they got to the playoffs, and then there was other problems. But in the regular season, it was it was working the whole time. So I, the problem with Russell Wilson is his ADP. Uh, yeah. he's, like, he's like a fourth-rounder, which I won't take any quarterback there. Mm. But I do think he is in that tier of, like, five quarterbacks that have a chance to finish as the top quarterback that, like— yeah. Newton, Rodgers, Wilson, Luck, and Breeze, I would say. Like, any of those guys could finish as a top quarterback. Um, And if he falls as the last guy in that tier and he's available in, like, the sixth round, then I'm willing to do it because the the upside is there for him to just have one of these these nuclear seasons. All he needs is for the offensive line to be even just, like, passable. Passable. And, like, (laughs) he, he can suddenly have, like, one of these historic seasons, I think. So yeah. I like him a lot. I just need the value to be like a little bit better to fully get behind him. So would you draft Russell Wilson in the fifth? Mm. I mean, it really depends on who else is there. The reason I say yeah. the sixth is there is probably 60 players I can think of that I'd rather have than Russell Wilson, or at least that are like more valuable to my team, whether or not I personally want sure. them more. You know? Would you draft Jonathan Stewart or Russell Wilson? So we're sitting in the fifth round. Jonathan yeah. Stewart and Russell Wilson are available. Let's assume I've taken two running backs and two wide receivers before this, um, and I feel pretty good about both of them. I'd still, I think I'd still take Jonathan Stewart um, because while Russell Wilson has this upside, um, I could take Jonathan Stewart and then in the sixth round presumably get, you know, Breeze maybe, who has, we've seen what his upside is. Russell's is... Oh, yeah. It's kind of theoretical. Like, he did it for a stretch last season, but, you know, it's a small sample. Um, Breeze's is not theoretical. We've seen him do it time and time again. So I, I think in that situation, I, I would take Stewart, yeah. 
Ru- Russell Wilson or Arian Foster? <laughs> Russell Wilson, but there's no <laughs> way that's a decision. There's no way I'm sitting there being like, God. Th- those are the only two <laughs> players left on the board. In the fifth round. Everyone else has been selected somehow. <laughs> there's, there's no way. It's, it's one of those fantasy drafts where you can select 18 players per turn. Oh. And somehow, <laughs> Russell Wilson and Arian Foster are the only two players left on the board. You're taking... Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson. In that okay. case, yeah. <laughs> okay. You found the line. It is apparently right. Arian Foster in there the fifth go. round. <laughs> <laughs> so, the wide receivers in Seattle. We have Doug Baldwin, who Dougie just went... Rash. Nuclear, as you said earlier. He exploded last like a season. Diaper. He led the league with 14 touchdowns, or he tied for the league lead. Yeah. And then, like, yeah, I'm just going to pretend to, like, I didn't hear that whole diaper comment. <laughs> uh, Tyler Lockett as well, and uh, Jermaine Curse makes up the three-man core that is the Seattle wide receiving group. So Doug Baldwin is at the top. He had 99 targets, so n- not quite 100. 78 catches. Now, here's where it gets interesting with the Seattle wide receivers. All of them are top 10 in terms of completion percentage. Mm. Highly efficient. Mm -hmm. So Doug Baldwin was actually second in the NFL with 79% in terms of completion percentage. He finished with over 1,000 yards, 1,069, 14 touchdown passes. Touchdown catches, yeah. Which is tied for first in the league with Allen Robinson and Brandon Marshall. He is at 10.8 yards per target, which is very high. And... He has a 10.1 average depth of target. So solid numbers all around for Doug Baldwin. Now, the argument against him is that, oh, he's never done this before. He's not going to do it again. So what is your take on Dougie Fresh Baldwin? I agree with that a little bit. Um, the, the touchdowns are going to regress. Not sustainable? Yeah. Not, there's no way he's getting 14 touchdowns again. I guess it's, I, can't, I can't see it happening, um, especially because as a – Seattle fan I watched all of those touchdowns and it was just so many of these like fluky he's in the slot someone falls down and he gets a touchdown like it wasn't it wasn't him just like consistently outplaying people to where he earned all 14 of those touchdowns some of that was kind of fluky so that's going to regress for sure um I could see him putting up that level of yardage again on like that many targets if the running game collapses and is incapable and they have to lean on the pass a little bit more and I could see the yardage being there. Uh, but the the problem with him is his ADP is in the fourth round, which isn't awful, but you're kind of... Like, it's baking in his regression a little bit, but I don't know if it's baking it in enough. Because then you're taking him... Assuming you're not going, like, zero RB and taking him as your fourth wide receiver, you're taking him as probably your second, maybe third wide receiver when you do that. And I'm, like, a little dubious. I'm a little dubious of taking him there. Uh, I'd much rather go the other way and take Tyler Lockett a few rounds later. Okay. I'm, sure, I'm sure you have some, some things on Tyler Lockett to say. Oh, yeah, the tile driver. The tile driver. But, but to close out the uh, Doug Baldwin portion of the pod, mm-hmm. would you rather have Doug Baldwin or Jeremy Macklin on your team? Jeremy Macklin. Um, okay. I think their floor is... Macklin might have a higher floor. There's, it's pretty similar. Um, but I think Macklin's ceiling might also be a little bit higher. Um, we've seen him be elite more often than Doug Baldwin. We saw Doug Baldwin be pedestrian for several seasons before this happened, yeah. which makes me think that it could have been anybody. It wasn't something specific to Doug Baldwin. Uh, whereas Macklin is a guy that kind of commands the workload that he gets, and some of that is talent-based. So I'd rather have Macklin. 
Yeah, yeah. Doug Baldwin was, I think, a 15th round pick last last season. Yeah. So he was drafted insanely late, which just tells you about his perceived value before his explosive season. Yeah. Uh, diaper like explosive, explosive diaper like season. So uh, Ty- Tyler Lockett, <laughs> the the man you've dubbed the tile driver. The tile driver. Yes. He is a breakout candidate for this season. A lot of fantasy folk are jumping on the uh, Tyler Lockett train. Mm-hmm. Harmon is one of them as well. Yes. I believe he said that Tyler Lockett might be this year's Allen Robinson. I would agree. Uh, let's just look <laughs> at his, his numbers. And you have to remember, Tyler Lockett also gives you an added boost in the uh, special teams department. Assuming that is Seattle's plan to keep him as a returner. I think so. Uh, I, I would think so, too. I, the only reason why you wouldn't is if you're worried. If he develops into an elite receiver, then you might be worried about injury. Do you yeah. want to remove him from that situation? But as of now, he is the returner. Uh, 67 targets, 51 catches, 76% completion, uh, which is fourth in the NFL, just behind Doug Baldwin, actually. He finished with 664 yards and six touchdowns. So this was his rookie season. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about the tile driver? Uh, I think that he, I agree with Harmon that he is on like the precipice of this big breakout. Um, I would put him in that like, Antonio Brown class wide receiver at least that is in his range of outcomes as like I was saying about John Brown like this small guy that is so quick that you can't really press him at the line you know he's just going to juke you out your shoes and then be gone um and he's like such a fantastic route runner already too that he he just gets open despite his size and makes him a viable outside receiver um and just sort of quote a statistic from Matt Harmon in his reception perception on tile driver. Um, he is success rate versus man coverage was 76%, which is the second highest of a rookie wide receiver ever behind only Odell of Beckham. Of all times? Oh, wow. Of okay. all times behind only Odell Beckham. And it's higher than Allen Robinson, which, you know, we saw it happen with there. And John Brown comes in fourth of like okay. these rookie years. Uh, so the, the potential is there. The I think the talent is there. I think we we saw what he can do when given the opportunity. Um, so it's really just does that offense have what it takes to support two wide receivers? Because I don't think he'll be the number one, at least not out of the gate. I think it's possible by the end of the year he supplants Doug Baldwin as the number one receiver in that offense. But it's not going to start that way. It's going to take a full season of him just outplaying him for that to happen. Um, so it's just, can this offense support two wide receivers? And again, it's, do we think the line is bad enough and the run game doesn't function enough? Um, I'm of the mind that, yes, it can support two wide receivers, and we'll see it start happening. Uh, and I think he is, like, a, a pretty good value in the seventh round. Uh, and I think it's possible he could even yeah. slip to, like, the eighth, depending on, you know, your league and your exact format. Because uh, the upside is there. And when you're taking him in the seventh round as your, you know, fourth wide receiver at this point, um, it's you just kind of is not the risk isn't there as much as it is with Doug Baldwin. I think the upside is higher than it was. Yeah. Whereas Doug Baldwin's fourteen touchdown, whatever it was twelve hundred yard season was like it's not sustainable for him. I think Lockett could get those yardages and could end up with ten touchdowns just because of his talent. So yeah, well, I mean I I'm completely with you there. I think what drives Tyler Lockett's. Uh, I guess his outlook this year is his value right now. The, the mm-hmm. fact that you can get him in the seventh or eighth round 
And if you look at his numbers, I mean, he only had 67 targets. So if you're of the mind that he will see an increased volume, then you have to translate, okay, 67 targets. If he gets 90 targets, okay, he is going to be almost at 1,000 yards based on how he was producing last season. Mm -hmm. And if he uh, eclipses the 100-target mark, then, I mean, it's even more. His, his yards per target were on pace with Allen Robinson, right around this John Brown level. He, he was a rookie last season, so you have to expect some sort of growth. Yeah. The second year in the offense, nothing's really changed with the offense other than a few pieces on the offensive line. So it's not like he had to learn a new system or anything like that during the course of the offseason. So these are the type of scenarios where you do expect to see improvement from rookie year to the second year. Now, when there's like full changes throughout the staff and lineup, that's where you might see a regression. But mm-hmm. nothing like that has happened in Seattle. So I like Tyler Lockett. I don't know if I'm going to go ahead and say that he is like the next Allen Robinson, that he'll break out and he have is. that type of season. But <laughs> with, with the seventh or eighth round value, he doesn't even need to be, really. No. Yeah. I mean, he could end up as a wide receiver too, and you've already won. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Doug Baldwin needs to be a wide receiver to to return value. Um, Lockett doesn't. Lockett can be like a boomer bust flex, and that's what he's being valued as right now, and that's fine. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm with you, uh, except that he is going to be the next Allen Robinson, and he is he is the GOAT of the Seahawks. Yeah, one, so, one thing I will say is that if I had to choose, I would choose Tyler Lockett out of the wide receivers in Seattle mm-hmm. just based on that value. Yeah. Doug Baldwin, like you said, has been going in the fourth round, fifth round, right around the same time as Jeremy Macklin and a lot of these other receivers that I would rather have than Doug Baldwin. But Tyler Lockett in the seventh, very interesting. Would you rather take Dante Moncrief or Tyler Lockett? Where is Moncrief going right now? Isn't he going like the fourth round? Moncrief is now going in like the fifth. I'd still rather have Tyler Lockett for those two extra rounds of equity. I think they're I think the, the the range of outcomes is pretty similar for them. All right. What about a wide receiver that's going in the same range, Kevin White? Tyler Lockett still. Just because Kevin White is such an unknown quantity. He's, this is basically his rookie season, and he's he's raw. That was the big thing about him coming out of the draft is he's not much of a route runner. He's got the talent, but he's a freak, but, but he's a, you know, he's a freak so he just he needs to learn those NFL-y things. So I'd still take Tyler Lockett. But then again, DGB was a freak too, wasn't he? And look where it got I saw him. what happened there. So. <laughs> uh, is that our take, that Kevin White is the next DGB? No, no, no I'm not ready to say that. Let's just, yeah, let's just move on. Not even a little this. bit. So I guess in terms of potential sleeper players on the Seahawks, right? I mean, we, we already talked about Chris and Michael. Like, do we really want to put him in the sleeper category? I guess we have to. We have again. to because his ADP is basically undrafted. Like, if he He's remains, yeah, yeah, if he remains someone you can get at the end of your draft, then yes, he is a valid sleeper. If the hype pushes him into like the eleventh or twelfth round, then it's like, uh, there's other guys I'd rather have out of the like high upside backup running backs than Christine Michael. Um, so yeah, he's a sleeper at his current ADP. Just keep an eye on his ADP. Uh, I will say a sleeper that I do like on the Seahawks, more for best ball, for MFL 10s than anything else, Jermaine is Curse. Jermaine Curse. Yeah, because, again, if this offense needs to be more pass-heavy, then, like, we've seen what it can do. And even as, like, the third wide receiver in that offense, there's there's value for those, those boom weeks. He's never going to be consistent. Uh, he's the least talented of the three, for sure. 
yeah. but he's also probably the best chance to be the red zone threat of those three wide receivers. Um, especially with yeah. Jimmy Graham, you know, who knows what Jimmy Graham's going to be. We haven't even mentioned him. Um, yeah. so it, I, I like him because again, he's free. So Chris yeah. is a nice, a nice free stash just to see what happens. Even in redraft, just take him, see what happens in the first week and then maybe two and then, you know, cut him if nothing happens. Yeah. Yeah. He was second on the team in terms of red zone targets. So your yeah. point is very valid there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could explode at any given time, and even if you're in a redraft league, you can sell that yeah. talent. Oh, he's on, he's part of the elite Seattle offense. Mm-hmm. You know, take him. He's one entry away from being the uh, the second wide receiver. He kind of fits in the Philip Dorsett mode. Basically, yeah. yeah. He's just less hypey than Dorsett. Uh, yeah. Should we talk about Graham at all? Is there anything to say? <sighs> Graham? Ah, oh, jeez. I mean, I still don't buy. Apparently, he has made this miraculous recovery from this uh, knee injury. This the, the type of knee injury that people don't come back. Patella, patella tendon. Yeah, yeah, patella tendon. And I don't see how he returns to form. I mean, even last year when he was healthy, he didn't look that good. Okay. Yeah, it's not like he if he's healthy, he's suddenly going to go back to being a top two tight end. It's he'll go back to being like the ninth or tenth, tenth best tight end. Like what's... Yeah. And he's being drafted in, what, like the 10th round, something like that. So, I mean, as a 10th round pick, I don't like him. If for some reason he completely falls out of the top 15 rounds, then, yeah, why not? Why not take a flyer? If you're planning on streaming tight ends anyways, then Jimmy Graham is somebody you can target, mm-hmm. matchup-based, because he does have the pedigree. He has been elite before, and maybe he really has made this miraculous recovery you don't want to invest a 10th round pick. That's all I'm saying. No. And, and Jimmy Graham. If you can get him in the 15th as like a, a flyer, then why not? Or if you can pick him up off the waiver wire to be your tight end stream, then I'm okay with that as well. But I, yeah. Jimmy Graham is not a player I get excited about. No. And just because he came off the pup now doesn't mean he's going to start yeah. the season. They could put him right back on the pup at the beginning of the season. You know, that's, it, yeah. it doesn't really mean anything. It could almost be a purely administrative move, so they can put him back on the pup. Uh, so yeah, don't don't read into any of it. It's nice to see that he apparently isn't completely broken. But you know, Victor Cruz was never on the pup. You know, coming back oh, yeah. his year after the injury, and he still isn't right. So you know, yeah. don't don't take anything we've seen as as a sign that he is back. Just avoid avoid Jimmy Graham. Avoid Jimmy cost. Graham. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because there are so many other tight ends you can take mm-hmm. going at that ADP. I mean, we've we've highlighted this in our mock drafts. You can take guys like Ebron and Dwayne Allen in the 12th round. Yeah, Antonio Gates has been slipping past the 10th round. You can take Antonio Gates in the later rounds. My, by God. By God. Yeah, Antonio Gates by is a great God. late round value. I guess let's, let's uh, move on to... Let's move on to the, uh, the real exciting teams in this division. God. We're gonna go. We're gonna go with uh, Team Hard Knock, Ooh. the Los Angeles Rams. Oh God, I forgot. I had interesting saying this that. Team. Go ahead. Yeah, interesting <laughs> saying Los Angeles Rams. But yeah. in terms of fantasy relevant players, it's probably going to be a fairly quick conversation with yeah. this team. Uh, just to run through some numbers, they finished 16th overall in rushing plays and 30th in passing plays. Uh, we'll we'll comment a little bit more on that later because it is interesting. Uh, that might be a part of our Todd Gurley discussion. But uh, the numbers are ugly for St. Lu- uh, Louis. See, there it is. <laughs> the Rams. 
Los Angeles Rams of Anaheim. Los Angeles Rams of of Inglewood, wherever the the stadium (laughs) is. The wide receiving situation is ranked dead last, according to uh, Pro Football Focus again. Mm. The offensive line is ranked second to last. The, the, The quarterback situation is ranked 28th. So these are all putrid numbers. Secondary is ranked 27th, so again, bottom five. Their saving grace is their defensive line, their front seven, where they are ranked fourth in the league, and their running back situation, they are ranked sixth. So those are their only two bright spots. I mean, you have Aaron Donald, who could be one of the best defensive tackles in the league, yeah. and you have Todd Gurley. So these are their two superstars, and it shows with how each of their units are ranked. So the Rams, my gosh, a bleak outlook. Nobody thinks that they're going to be any good. Quarterback situation is ugly. You have the rookie, Jared Goff. You have Case Keenum, who could be the starter in week one. You don't really know. And they have Todd Gurley, and that's basically it for this team. So how are you feeling about the offensive uh, production potential of the Rams? Uh, Not great. Uh, I mean, (laughs) you heard heard from um, Fisher himself, they're not going 10-6, and so... Yeah, we ain't no ten and six bullshit. <laughs> I don't. I don't know exactly how he said. We're now seven and nine. Oh, uh, Fisher. I will say, I mean, yeah, Todd Gurley is the only guy here of any real value, um, even in the first round. Because as we sort of mentioned before, when we were bashing on David Johnson, um, Todd Gurley is looking like one of those generational Adrian Peterson type talents, where it doesn't matter what's around him. He's just he's gonna have an amazing season short of an injury. Um, So, and you know, it's possibly starts catching more passes too. We caught more passes uh, in college. And so it's surprising to see that in his rookie year, he basically, he caught very few. And so it's possible they start working that in more. Maybe they were just sort of limiting his scope in his rookie year to make the transition easier. And now they're going to start giving him more passing down work. It's possible. So his ceiling could be even higher than it was last year. Um, Yeah. If he catches more passes, that's a bonus really. Yeah, so I mean he's he's my number one running back this year. Um, I think probably yours too. Yeah, he's he's mine as well. Yeah, he, he's a clear cut number one in my eyes with Le'Veon Bell dealing with the suspension and coming off of a knee injury. Uh, Todd Gurley, he's been catching a lot of flack surprisingly for somebody who had such a good rookie year, mm-hmm. and the reason why is because of the team he plays on. You look at the Los Angeles Rams and they're terrible, right? Even though they finish seven and nine, you just look up, you look at the makeup of their team, and they don't have any sort of semblance of a team that might make a leap and enter the playoff conversation next year. It doesn't look like they're trending upwards, other than the fact that they have a couple of young superstars and Todd Gurley, Aaron Donald, these type of guys, right. and Jared Goff. I guess they just basically sold the farm to get. Jared Goff, to be their quarterback of the future, yeah. which, I I mean, he's not going to step in right away and be a 16-game starter for this team. It, it no. will take time for him to develop. So maybe in a couple of years we'll be able to look back and say, hey, I guess it was worth giving up all the draft picks to get Jared Goff. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw this situation happen with Washington and RG3. They, I mean, they gave up a ridiculous package to get him, and then within a year, Kirk Cousins was already stealing the job. Kirky Cousins. I just had to, I had to slip his name in. I <laughs> We're not even his talking about his division. You had to find I a way know. to bring up Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Kirk. But yeah, back back to the Rams. So Todd Gurley, if you're talking about fantasy relevant players, he's basically it. 
So mm-hmm. let's let's go over Todd Gurley. We'll probably focus mainly on Todd Gurley. I know you have a sleeper. I, I do talk about. Um, but so when you look at the Rams wide receiver core, uh, Tavon Austin is like the hypiest one of the group, I guess. Um, not even that much hype. Just like, oh well, there's some value there. You know, there's that that big boom potential. Um, but who I'm looking at is one Kenneth Britt. Oh, now, here we go. Now hear me out. First of all. If you saw the first episode of Hard Knocks, did you see all those those fades to the end zone? He's practicing with Britt. So many. Clearly, he's going to be his number one guy in the red zone. Okay. This Maybe is your not. whole argument for Kenny Britt, <laughs> is that you watch that two-minute segment on Hard Knocks, and you're like, the chemistry is real. <laughs> I will admit that it made me think about him when I forgot he had existed up to that point. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> he was probably just practicing that with him because he was the guy who happened to be standing near him when he wanted to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well. But it did, it did make me pause and look a little bit at him. Um, he is one of the tallest receivers on the team, him and Brian Quick coming at basically the same height. Um, but last season, Kenny Britt out-snapped and out-targeted Brian Quick on the field more, had more balls thrown his way, so... Didn't catch a lot of them, though. Didn't, that's unimportant. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had more opportunities than Quick did. I mean, Quick wasn't good either. Um, so Who really was on that team? Ex- well, so, other than Tavon So Austin, it's going to positively regress back towards the mean, I've decided. Um, You've decided. Because okay. no one is going to be as bad as Foles was. Um, Keenum is, you know, he's going to start, and he'll, he'll be Case Keenum. But the potential for this offense to be better is there. You know, the, there's going to be the eight-man boxes against Gurley, leaving a softer passing defense for Goff or Keenum. And when they get into the red zone, it can't always be Gurley. It can't always be give the ball to Gurley. I think they'll, it can. I think it's going to be all Gurley all the time. They'll try that, but it won't, it won't work, always work. Sometimes they have to throw it. They have to throw it some. And of the... Tall red zone threats there, Kenny Britt and Brian Quick. I'll take the guy who's on the field more, who has had more targets, and is practicing after practice. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. I mean, come I on. You saw, them, you saw him getting that chemistry. That episode didn't even show. Was Brian Quick even in that episode? Did you see Brian Quick anywhere? I did not. Yeah. Brian Cook wasn't even playing Pokemon Go with Tavon Austin. No, who knows who that he was child was? <laughs> that was kind of weird. Nobody knows. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because I already knew you were going to bring up Kenny Britt. Do you I'll already just, have a counter argument? Down, <laughs> no, not a county, not a counter argument. I'll just run down some stats oh, because God. I don't think a lot of people really know who Kenny Britt is. Sure. Uh, you, pr- you probably do, but you've you've forgotten about him. Yeah. Much like you had until the Hard Knocks episode. <laughs> sure. But Ken- Kenny Britt. Uh, 70 targets last year. Nice. He caught a whopping 36 of them, which can't is 51%. It's like Pokemon. So you he, can't catch them all. It's a coin flip when you're throwing <laughs> the ball to Kenny Britt. And now now you could argue that a lot of that has to do with quarterback play, but he, he straight out dropped his fair share of passes. Uh, he did finish with 681 receiving yards. There you go. Three touchdowns. He had a 9.7 yards per target, which isn't terrible, and a 17.5 average depth of target, which is actually really, really good. Deep threat. So that tells you that he gets down the field. The only worry there is, does he actually have a quarterback who can throw the ball down the field? He could be standing there wide open, and is is Jared Goff, Mm -hmm. Mr. The Sun Rises in the West, (laughs) 
actually going to be able to hit him on a long pass. I mean, I we think saw them practice the the end zone fade. We but saw that's that from like we saw ten that. yards out. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I I do think that you know he is kind of the outside deep threat there, and um, he'll those opportunities will be there because again defenses will be keying in on Gurley and it'll be either Keenum or this rookie and they'll say hey beat us like we dare you to beat us deep and then if you do we'll respect you um and so the opportunity will be there for for Britt to get those targets and you know who else only caught half of their targets in a year Calvin Benjamin Calvin Benjamin yes (laughs) (laughs) he only caught and look at the season he had yeah that's true so he's I'm not saying he's going to be elite I'm saying he could be Kelvin Benjamin in his rookie year. That is, that's well, what I think the ceiling hey, is. For I would Kenny take Britt. that. I yeah. would take that. Anyone would, especially because the real like silver lining here of, on this like bag of poo that is Kenny Britt is um, he's he's basically going undrafted. He's free. He's free. You you yeah. draft him, keep him on your bench until you need the spot. Watch a game or two, see if anything materializes, and if not, drop him. This is more of like a. Because I don't even think of something that materialized in the first week or two. It's more of like, this is someone to keep your eye on, on the wire. If, you know, if it looks like the offense is starting to click, things are starting to go a little bit better, Kenny Britt is the receiver I'm targeting, not Brian Quick. Because if things do pick up, everyone's going to be on Brian Quick. Because he had that hype whenever it was a year or two ago. What about Tavon Austin? No Tavon, respect. Tavon Austin is like a completely different part of the game. He's like the, the pass-catching running back slash Percy Harvin of the team, basically. Like he, yeah. he has his own weird little thing he does. Um, so yeah, I, I think the potential is there. I just want to throw out his name because, okay. as far as I know, no one has said his name in like five years. Yeah. Well, well, so far we've talked about Kenny Britt more than we have Todd Gurley <laughs> in this in this Los Angeles Rams part of the pod, well, which Todd is erroneous. Gurley, erroneous. <laughs> Todd Gurley is obvious. Like it's no one. I don't think anyone is convincing themselves they shouldn't take Todd Gurley. Although there was that article. I think it might have been Matt Harmon that wrote it on why it Todd was, Gurley wasn't was. going to be. And a lot of people buy into it because the Rams are a terrible team. Yeah. So here's the thing with Todd Gurley. You mentioned before that you don't think it matters that he's on the Rams because we've seen Adrian, Adrian Peterson do this on a terrible Vikings team. Yeah. A team that ranked worse than the Rams ranked last year. He's done it multiple times yeah. when Minnesota was terrible. He's put up years that were actually somewhat comparable to what Todd Gurley did last year. Okay, So Todd Gurley, you have to expect him to catch more passes. Like you said, he caught a lot more in college. Not a lot more. He's never been this elite receiving back, but he was definitely a part of the passing game at the very least. But his raw numbers in 13 games last year, he had 1,106 yards, 4.8 yards per carry, 10 touchdowns, and then 188 receiving yards. So he was just behind David Johnson at 0.50 points per opportunity, second best in the league in terms of running backs. So Todd Gurley, elite talent. Yeah. Are you on board? Yes. I know you're on board. You already said he's an I fully RB1, buy in, yeah. I, I think he is, he is the safest running back to take in the first round. Um, not named Lamar Miller. I think he's still safer than Lamar Miller. Um, yeah, I do too. But Lamar Miller is just on like a presumably slightly better offense. I don't even know why we fully presume that, but we do. Brock Osweiler, <laughs> Cause, cannon cause arm. Because I guess Osweiler, is, he's certainly better than Case Keenum and is yeah. probably better than Jared Goff in his rookie year. Because he's tall. He is tall. I, f- I feel that's all we ever hear about Brock Osweiler, but we'll talk about him in a different <laughs> tall pod. Tall drink of water. 
Yeah, so the last, the closing thing I want to say about Todd Gurley is a lot of people think that he'll get game scripted out because the Rams are so bad, but that wasn't the case last year. I mean, they still finished, like, right in the middle of the pack in terms of rushing plays attempted, Mm -hmm. and the reason why they were able to still focus on the running game is because they were never really blown out. They were never completely out of a game because of their defense, Mm -hmm. and they have a strong, a really strong defensive line. Their secondary has... Probably <laughs> taken a hit. Yeah, this season they they selected uh, Tremaine Johnson. They kept him over Janoris Jenkins, who is now a part of the uh, New York Giants. Mm-hmm. But I I like Johnson better anyway. So I don't think their defense is much worse than last season. I think that's probably going to be their one bright spot, other than Todd Gurley. Yeah. So I think as long as they're not like fully getting stomped into the ground, that the offense will run through Todd Gurley. He's their main piece he's the centerpiece of the rams offense yeah and i think even if because they're gonna have probably a couple of those games where they just get completely stomped because that oh, yeah. happens to basically every team when they play um, seattle when they play seattle saying. those two games yes um but even then i still think this team's gonna stick with being run heavy because they've seen that they can't rely on case keenum to win them a game and they're if Goff is the one playing they want to insulate him he's in his rookie year they're not interested in leaning too heavily on him, and then he gets sacked 30 times and is never the same again. Like they, the, the, His rookie season is about getting him reps. It's about seeing can he do it. And then, you know, it's, it's a long-term plan. Jeff yeah. Fisher got extended, so he's not, he's not playing for his job, basically, is what's going to happen. He's not, he doesn't have to go out and have some heroics to, to get another year there. The Rams basically said, we're happy with 8-8. Eight and eight. Keep on doing it. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a good point. I think they're going to be run heavy no matter what. They know Gurley is their best chance of winning and he is that home run hitter. Even if they're down three scores in the second quarter, um, do you still keep running? Cause he's the guy that on any run, it could turn into a touchdown. Yeah. He has that, that long run potential. Mm-hmm. And one thing to mention about their offensive line, they take a lot of heat because last year they were garbage, but the offensive unit that they are bringing in this season They've only played together for 230 snaps, so they're really raw. They're, they're all young. So who's to say that they don't develop and yeah. they provide? They open up more holes for Todd Gurley. And, I mean, anything is an improvement over dead last. <laughs> okay. Yes. Well, I guess Seattle's technically ranked dead last, but yeah. they're 31st. They're, there's basically nowhere to go but up. <laughs> nowhere to go but mostly up. But mostly up, yeah. I think we've talked so, uh, enough about the Rams. Is there anything else to say here? No. I mean, <laughs> in the last team, we'll probably talk about even less because <laughs> there's, there's not much there's there. There's even less there to talk about. Yeah. yeah. But that, that is one San Francisco 49er team led by Chip Kelly, Ooh, who you've mentioned a few times. That Chip Kelly offense. So this, I have them finishing last in the division, mm. even lower than the Rams. I think that's uh, Last season, they finished 21st in rushing plays attempted, 25th in passing plays. So they were bottom third in both. Uh, their, their wide receiver core is ranked 31st, second to last. The running back situation, 18th. The offensive line, 26th. Not very good. If we look mm-hmm. at the quarterback situation... Dead last, 32nd, with one Blaine Gabbert and Colin Kaepernick. Their front seven, as far as the defense goes, I saw the eye roll there, Uh, 23rd. They're basically bottom third in almost every single category. Yeah. The secondary is the only 
Secondary and running back are the only two categories where they are like middle of the pack. Um, key fantasy players, this is going to be short. We, we have Carlos Hyde, Torrey Smith, and then a bunch of sleepers that we could potentially talk about, and Vance McDonald, Bruce Ellington. Mm. But let's focus on Carlos Hyde, who, if you remember last season, he, he opened the year against Minnesota, Adrian Peterson's return game. It was a Monday night game, I believe. And yeah. Carlos Hyde was ridiculous. He was very like, good that game. He had that one spin juke move that looked like he was playing Madden. I don't know what he did, but he like was in midair and then somehow changed direction. It was, I, I don't even know. I don't even know what I was looking at there. But he, after that, he was hyped up as like the next running back, the next big thing. And he never really was able to sustain that level of play. He got hurt shortly afterwards. He actually mm-hmm. only played seven games. Yeah. Carlos Hyde. He ended up with 470 yards, three touchdowns, 4.1 yards per carry. So what do you think about Carlos Hyde this year in a Chip Kelly offense? He's the lead back. Uh, I actually like him a lot. Uh, Like you said, he's shown that he has the raw tools to be elite, uh, but then he got hurt. That offense went in the tank, and that was kind of the end of his season. Um, So if he can stay healthy, I, I think that the upside is really there. The only argument i've heard the only two arguments i've heard against um hyde which i guess they go hand in hand is that he doesn't catch many passes and he might get game scripted out as a result you know the the 49ers will constantly be down and so sean drone will be the the running back in most of the drone drone um and that's certainly possible but i think that hyde is the best running back in that backfield i don't think that they are going to be losing every single game I think they will lose to most games, but I don't think it's always going to be a blowout. To where I they, think they're zero and sixteen. <laughs> they're losing every single game. Zero and sixteen never scores scores a point. Always down. Never runs. Yeah. Um. So it's. I guess the game script is a little bit of a worry, but I think that that has kind of helped suppress his ADP a little bit. Right now, he's going in the fourth round, um, which I would feel comfortable taking him there. Uh, I mean, I prefer like. Rawls, like we were talking about earlier, but I think after that I'd feel okay taking Hyde uh, because he, if they're in the game and they're running, I think the upside there is is very high. Yeah, yeah, I would put Hyde in this group of running backs because of their value that I think could win you a league, yeah. depending on how the year breaks. Hyde could be a running back one by yeah. the end of the year. He yeah. kind of fits into the mold of the DeMarco Murray, Latavius Murray, Thomas Rawls, where these guys are going after the third round, and they could end up as your running back one, and mm-hmm. you're getting them at insane value. So I do like Carlos Hyde. I think he plays like he has cheat codes. <laughs> that Konami <laughs> code. <laughs> well, basically, he has the talent. It's just the offense that he's a part of. You already talked about that. I mean, mm-hmm. if you watch the first preseason game, I think they were trying to get Carlos Hyde involved in the passing game, but Blank Gabbert had two of the, the worst throws I have ever seen to I the running those, back. Yeah. Like, I don't even know what he was doing. It was a clear-cut, it was a vanilla screen <laughs> designed for Carlos Hyde, and he threw the ball like five yards behind him. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I mean, granted, it was a, I think it was their first offensive play of the preseason, so maybe, maybe Gabbert wasn't adequately warmed up, but it was maybe. just it was awful. And there, there were a couple of runs where he 
looked good. Like he had this really explosive run, and I was about to like jump off on my couch and be like, "Oh, I'm drafting Carlos Hyde in the third. And then the next carry, he like fumbled horribly. <laughs> he basically got stuffed at the line of scrimmage and lost the ball on a tackle where he should have never lost the ball. I was like, "Oh, Carlos, how are you fumbling right there?" It was. It wasn't even like one of those strip tackles where the defender was trying to strip the ball. He just got bumped into and lost the ball. <laughs> oh God! And I was like, "Okay, Carlos Hyde." And I was looking on my Twitter, and everyone was like, "That's the Carlos Hyde. I want to see you." <laughs> Wait. Oh no. Oh, <laughs> Carlos. Oh God. Cut. Ah, uh, but yeah. Other than Carlos Hyde, <laughs> we have Tory Smith, who is uh, going. I think around the eighth or ninth round now. Mm-hmm. His yeah. ADP has kind of climbed. He's he's received a lot of boost from fantasy heads throughout the fantasy world on twitter i know Harmon loves him as well we keep on bringing up Harmon, but he is like the uh receiving expert he i suppose is, yeah. if you will he, he loves fair. his wide receivers and he loves his tory smith so yeah tory he's interesting because before last season he was always in the wide receiving wide receiver two discussion when he was in baltimore he was always in that range where he was finishing like wide receiver 23, wide receiver 24, something like that. He would always have the deep threat potential. But last year, he came in and stunk, pretty much. I mean, he was part of a terrible offense. He ended up with only 56 targets, which is a low number. Uh, they had Anquan Bolden on their team last year, who was the starter last season. So Torrey Smith wasn't a one. This year, I think he will come in and be a one. Uh, he ended up with 33 catches. For 663 yards and four touchdowns, he had an 11.8 yards per target, which was is really high, actually, and a 14.6 average depth of target, which kind of just backs the uh, narrative that he is the deep threat. He's always been known as a deep threat wide receiver. Mm-hmm. So I think why people love Torrey Smith this year is his game script. Like you were just talking about a second ago, they're right. going to be behind a lot. Maybe not 100% of the time. <laughs> I don't think they're mm-hmm. that bad. But they will be behind the majority of the games they play, which means they're going to throw the ball. Now, the only problem with that is they'll either have Blaine Gabbert or Colin Kaepernick throwing the ball, which I think decreases his value a little bit. A little bit. Because, uh, just a little bit, because I don't like Blaine Gabbert, but I like Colin Kaepernick even less uh, in terms of passing potential. Now, Colin Kaepernick gives you the, uh, the read option, which I know Chip Kelly loves to run. And Colin Kaepernick is probably better at running the read option than Blaine Gabbert. But he just, he's not a good quarterback. Yeah, that's the the problem with liking anyone on this offense is that it's most likely tied to Blaine Gabbert, who is just, he's awful. I don't care how okay he looked towards the end of last season. We have years of him being one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. Like, he's he's awful. And it's, you know, no... Can't remember any receiver that was fantasy worthy during Gabbard's days in Jacksonville. Was there anyone? No, well, their team was terrible from yeah. top to bottom. It's it's hard to pin that completely on Gabbard, but he just he's never looked good. Yeah. And he's never been a part of a good team, and he won't be a part of a good team this year. So no. you can't even use that as like a driving force behind Blaine Gabbard. Like, oh, but the 49ers are going to be so good this season. They're not. They're gonna be terrible. And their offensive line is mediocre at best. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he'll be under siege. 
he'll be running around. He'll be throwing the ball 15 yards behind Carlos Hyde. He'll probably connect every once in a while with a Torrey Smith or a Vance McDonald. We saw him hit yeah. McDonald for, I think, a 43-yard touchdown in the first mm-hmm. preseason game. Yeah. So, so then the hype was kind of, you know, rekindled a little bit for Blaine Gabbert. Yeah, I do like, I mean, I like Torrey Smith at his ADP because, uh, like, the ceiling is there. You know, the narrative writes itself of they're going to be losing a lot of games. They have to throw it a lot. Torrey's the number one. Um, so maybe this is the year he puts it together and is able to, you know, cobble out a wide receiver two-like season. Um, I think that's possible. Yeah. And in, the, like, the ninth, tenth round, you're not really losing much taking him for that. Um of, like, the sleepers between Bruce Ellington and Vance McDonald, I prefer Vance McDonald. Um, I think Bruce Ellington, I guess, is better as a PPR sleeper because uh, he's that yeah. slot guy who's probably going to get a ton of targets very close to the line of scrimmage because Gabbert will have no idea how to read the defense and just check down. Um, but I I like McDonald as the more high upside touchdown guy because, you know, he's huge he's very athletic we have seen his ability to catch a touchdown from Lane Gabbard in the preseason that is a thing that he can do um I just think that I just think the upside is higher there uh and the ADP is lower with Vance McDonald than I mean they're both yeah, basically and, free but I think his ADP is a little bit lower yeah I haven't seen Vance McDonald go on a 15 round mock yet no he's so. basically someone that's you could he, he's going undrafted in most leagues that aren't MFL 10s um, so I like him more as like, hey, if you're waiting on tight end and you just you wait too long and suddenly there's no one good left, then Vance McDonald has at least the upside. I mean, Garrett Selleck is not a real pass catcher. Um, and I, I think Torrey Smith has that upside, but Gabbard is the type of quarterback that needs like a, a safety valve. And I think that will be Bruce Ellington to some, but I think it might be more likely to be Vance McDonald because he's it's bigger and it's easier for for Gabbard just kind of throw it up near him and let McDonald come down with it. All right. So for an NFC West family feud standoff, would you rather have Andre Ellington or Bruce Ellington? They're cousins, by the way. Are they? Yeah. I don't know that. <laughs> um, what is Andre Ellington's ADP right now? Hold on. I don't, I don't think he's being drafted either. They're, they're basically the same. Yeah. Uh, but I think Bruce's is a little bit higher. Um, they're basically the same, though. I, mm, mm. <laughs> Andre Ellington, I think, still. Um, yeah. Just because we've seen him have success in the NFL. We've seen him be good. Um, Bruce Ellington is just another one of these unknown athletic sleepers, you know, super deep sleeper, who maybe he turns out to be a thing. Maybe he is absolutely nothing. We've seen Andre Ellington be something, so Andre. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably go Andre Ellington, too. I mean, until I see legit production from Bruce Ellington in an NFL game, and I'm not going to count camp reports or preseason as part of that, because, I mean, like you mentioned before with, uh, I think it was when we were talking about Seattle, and teams don't put out their best defensive players. I mean, they might for one series, but their schemes are vanilla. Yeah, they keep it very simple. I mean, this is the first game action they've seen against a different team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're trying to prevent injury. I mean, that's the number one goal in any preseason game, and they don't want to give away too much of their offensive scheme. They're just trying to give the players the reps. So yeah, I mean, nobody's going a hundred percent. Yeah. So if Bruce Ellington looks amazing in preseason, I'm still going to wait. I probably wouldn't even draft him to be honest. 
in a 15-round draft. There are other players who I'd rather have stashed on my bench than Bruce Ellington. Uh, he could be somebody that you look at as the season progresses, and that's when I would look at him. Okay, the first couple of weeks go by, and it looks like he's a thing. Okay, well, then then you try to make a play at Bruce Ellington as like a bench type of wide receiver. Mm-hmm. But as far as a, a true sleeper, I don't buy it yet. Yeah, I think he is a profiles as a similar kind of sleeper that I was talking about with Kenny Britt. As he's not like somebody you should be going out and trying to draft. More as like a, if you see the offense starting to look competent and you want to get a piece of it, then he's someone to, to try yeah. to grab off the wire. Um, except I will take Kenny Britt over Bruce Ellington any day. Boom. Because of those touchdown Shots throws. Because those, those touchdown throws from Jared Goff. You see those, yeah. man? They're in sync. They're in sync now. And sync <laughs> is here. Justin Timberlake <laughs> yeah. in sync. Woo! All right. Well, I think I am done talking about the 49ers because I want to vomit in my mouth a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's enough about them. Anytime I talk about the 49ers, it's just depressing. Yeah. So let's wrap it up with our divisional MVPs. Oh, So yes. we're talking, we're picking a fantasy player from these four teams that you think will be the most relevant in mm. terms of ADP, terms of production. Okay. So I have mine already, and it's not going to be a surprise. Okay. So do you want me to go first, or are you going to tackle this Just one? go ahead. Just get it All out right. of the way. Yeah, this is going to come as no surprise, but John Smokey Brown oh, God. is my divisional MVP. I already listed out the comparison to Allen Robinson. Uh, he was dealing with a lingering injury last year that you were talking about. He's, he's injured now. But if you look at, it's, yeah, I, this, this could blow up in my face. If he does not come back from this concussion, I will be highly depressed. I might just quit the fantasy season. Sure, if I can't sure. draft John Brown, that's it. That's I'm it. out. Done. Done. There's no point of playing fantasy football without John Brown. That's, that seems right. That's basically, yeah. Sound, <laughs> sound clip this and put it on Twitter because oh, God. I will stand by it. <laughs> but John Brown, uh, he had 10 red zone targets from week 11 on. Uh, and that was about 60, 63%, I believe, of his overall red zone targets came mm-hmm. in the last six weeks. So he was being targeted a lot. He was being leaned on a lot, but he wasn't fully healthy. And this is when we saw Michael Floyd kind of explode. But John Brown was still getting the majority of the red zone targets, and I think it's because he has a slightly better rapport with Carson Palmer. There's no stat behind that that's kind of an eyeball test and tangible thing. Yeah. There's no like, oh, the, he has a higher rapport rank than uh, Michael Floyd. Than yeah. He's a plus 3.8 rapport statistic. Uh, but John Brown, we've talked about this a lot. He, I think out of the three wide receivers in Arizona, he is the one that is most capable of improving. We've seen the Michael Floyd show. We've seen Larry Fitzgerald for 18 years. Hmm. So John, John Brown is the one who can take the step, the next step. And you mentioned before that he was fourth overall in beating with man coverage, I think. Is uh, he, what you're was, saying? he was in his rookie season, yes. His rookie season. Okay, so he has that potential. He is a smaller wide receiver, five foot ten, mm-hmm. but he's shifty. He's a deep threat, he, but he also can play underneath a little bit. And we see that in his numbers. He has 10.1 yards per target, a 15.3 average depth of target, and... He is going as the wide receiver 33. And that just hammers in my point that he is an MVP. There will be plenty of wide receivers that finish with better numbers than John Brown. But his value right now makes him the MVP of this division, in my opinion. More so than guys like Todd Gurley, who are going in the first. 
more so than guys like Doug Baldwin, Russell Wilson, who are going ahead of him as well. If you can get John Brown in the seventh round, the end of the sixth, just oh, you, you, the ring should be delivered to you. <laughs> Deliver them rings because you're winning the championship. It's done. Dropping the mic. I'm finished. That's Take it. it away. Wow. That's it. That's a, it's a hot, hot, hot take. Not at all surprising, but... Yeah. So my divisional MVP uh, is going to shock you, shock you and awe you. It's Tyler Lockett, isn't uh, it? It's the tile driver. <laughs> the tile driver. Um, I basically already gave all my reasons earlier when I was talking about Seattle. Yeah. But the, the talent is there. I think he is the most talented receiver on that offense. I think it would be hard to argue with that. Um, and all it takes is for that offense to be willing to feed him a little bit more. And nom, I, nom, nom, nom. I'm quoting someone when I say this. I don't remember who, so these are my exact words. But Probably me. That's definitely not you. Um, <laughs> so it's don't when you're sort of looking at the outlook of a receiving core or really any player on a team, you should be less concerned with – you shouldn't be super concerned with what they've done historically in terms of like targets and touches. Just what is their talent level to an extent because – Talent will demand touches. It'll demand, you know, attention. And I think that being the most talented receiver in that group, he he will demand more targets. You know, we started seeing it towards the end of last season. I have a little split right here from week here we 11 on last season. So for the first, from weeks 1 through 10, Tyler Lockett averaged 3.5 fantasy points a game in standard scoring, uh, roughly three targets a game. Um, from weeks 11 to 17, he averaged 10.3 fantasy points a game um, and six targets a game. So we saw it. We saw it jump up. Six isn't quite at that elite level, but it is. It is trending in the right direction. This was his rookie better, season. Yeah. yeah, it's it's better. This is his rookie season. So you, I think it's safe to assume, based off of his talent, that he is going to improve in his second year that is normally what you see is that sort of second year leap in wide receivers uh and the target numbers i think will go up i think the production will go up with it and he's going basically the same area as john brown i really don't have an issue if you like john brown more than tyler lockett except that you're wrong and tyler driver's the one to own and when when did rawls get hurt rawls i'm actually not sure let's see does that correlate with the The split you just mentioned with Tyler Lockett was that when they tried to ramp up their offense. I'm trying to remember transform it into a passing offense. It was pretty close. It was definitely around like week eleven or twelve. Um, let me see if I can find the exact week here. Okay, okay. Hold on, everyone. Hold on. Put a pause. But I mean, that would be my only counter argument is that if we get a healthy run game going again, that. Who's to say that he falls to the background once again? So he got hurt in week 13. Um, okay. So it didn't exactly line up. Uh, the boom games had already kind of started with Lockett. And um, I guess that's a fair <laughs> counter-argument, but I don't, I don't think it's enough to, to really bump him down because I think, okay. I think since they have sort of discovered that success and like, oh, we can be in a successful offense this way, um, they're going to utilize that. I, yeah. I don't really buy this narrative that, well, they were a run-heavy team with Marshawn Lynch, and in the year that he got hurt and they didn't have anything else in place, so they continued to be run-heavy. So that means they will always try to be run-heavy. I think that they are a smart team, 
that will play to their strengths. And I, I think they've kind of realized that at this point, being more of like a split balanced offense is in their favor. And uh, that supports Tyler Lockett being the fantasy MVP, divisional MVP. The <laughs> there goal. it is. You wrapped it up. Wrapped it up. Very nicely. Okay, yeah. so it didn't perfectly coincide. But I will say that John Brown put up his numbers with David Johnson lighting up the world, with Chris Johnson being one of the best running backs in the league. In the league, though. Yeah, but you're comparing John Brown in his third year to Tyler Lockett in his first year. Erroneous. Not, not a fair comparison. Let's go back and John on all Brown's counts. rookie year to Tyler Lockett's rookie year and see who comes out on top, <laughs> sir. John Brown is the <laughs> NFC West fantasy MVP. Well, we're, we both went away from Todd Gurley, who is the clear-cut best player in this division. I mean, but, he, he is, you know, but the value's not there, which is the, the problem. Yeah, yeah, he's going in the first round. So we like guys that are going later. That's where the true value lies. Mm-hmm. But we've been rambling on for a while. This yeah, is a we're long at an hour pod. and a half. We need to wrap this up, put a bow yeah, on it. Yeah, we're probably going to have to like cut this pod up into a couple different pieces because I know that nobody wants to hear you ramble on for more than five minutes. Wow. Bam. Wow. Dropping the hammer. All right, let's end this. Let's end it now. Let's just, it's over. NFC West, the worst division of football. We're done. <laughs> not true at all. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of these teams is going to win the Super Bowl, and it's not the Cardinals, Rams, or 49ers. Boom. Hot take. Um, Who does that leave? Hold on. Computing. <laughs> Did you say the Rams? I said not, I said not the Rams. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going 10-6. Uh, you already Arizona heard is the best team in this division. Let's they, be real. They were last season. They will not be this season. Okay. Mark my words. And Mark them. Are you a Seattle fan? I'm just I seems, need seems a point of reference. I don't know why we need to <laughs> I don't know why I need to get into what my personal I know what, if we are. go over the AFC West, I will not pick the Raiders as the best team in the division. Because they obviously aren't. Because they're not only the best team in the division, they're the best team in the AFC. But wow. that's n- neither here nor there. Woo! Let's close it out. Uh All right. Thank you guys for listening if you made it this far, which is highly doubtful. Doubtful, but if you're here, but anyone you're who a fool. has watched our videos or listened to our podcasts, uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, we are trying to get better, trying to produce a lot of content for you guys. Yep. I know sometimes uh, we drop the ball, notably Leo. Drop the ball regard. a la Carlos Hyde, fumbling for no reason. Boom. There Boom. it is. Boom, still got it. That's why we have 30 subscribers on YouTube. That's why. Little. <laughs> all right well like that all right this is terrible thanks for listening tell everyone subscribe etc yeah thank you to bleacher breaker www.bleacherbreaker.com yep find us on for, twitter uh, having is, our back it is just uh the twitter.com slash bench dash ff ff that After stands for fantasy football it does and you'll find in case an, you're wondering an endless supply of christine michael memes <laughs> Just they, they never yeah. seem to uh, stop. Well, hey, the last meme we put out was a John Brown meme. That's so. true. It was. But we'll be Woo. back to Christine Michael. That, that was a, a foreshadowing to today's podcast. <laughs> Apparently it was. NSC MVP of the NSC West. I guess I need to post a Tyler Lockett meme now to even it yeah. out. The Tyler Driver. It. I need to find a do picture it. of a, a pile of driver and put Tyler Come Lockett's on. face on it. Just do it. Come on. All right. This seems like a good time to stop. <laughs> okay. We're done. All right. It's over. Bye. Bam. Bam.